and amen. Good morning. I want to thank you so much for coming today. And if you're a guest, thank you for being here. If you're a member, thank you for being here. I think already you can probably sense this is a very special day. Uh, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place today. And we're glad that you're here. And um, I want to tell you something. I prayed this morning that, God, that you might bring someone by today just for them today. Just for them. And who knows, that might be you. We're in the midst of a series on prayer. And today we want to talk about, I think, probably the hardest prayer it is to pray. I can only imagine how many of these prayers were uttered on February the 29th, 2012. I remember that day like it was yesterday, just like most of you do. We were, well, actually my wife woke me up and told me there was a storm and a tornado and I went downstairs and was watching the television and they're all saying, go to the basement. The sirens were going off, go to the basement. And of course, we lived over on Poplar Street, so we weren't in danger, but you don't know that. And of course, being the man that I was, I totally ignored them and me and my son all went outside and I, I said, shared at Thanksgiving, I saw this flash of lightning and I saw this funnel and at first I thought I imagined it and then my, my son-in-law said, there, I think I saw it. And I, and he goes, I said, no, it was moving too fast. And later on, we found out the tornado was moving like 62 miles an hour. And we probably really did see that destructive storm that morning. I called David later on, and he came by and got me. And we began driving around the city, stopping, praying with people, seeing people um, that we knew, trying to check on some people that we knew. And it was devastating. It was devastating. And I just can't again imagine... How many, I'm sure the, the, the prayer lines of heaven were busy that day from Harrisburg. There were probably prayers for, as each fatality was announced, praying for the families and devastation of broken backs. I remember the Anglins, Kim and Dave, both their backs severely broken. Um, stories of miraculous survival and stories of strange destruction. And somewhere in all of that, you have probably heard some people who prayed that hardest prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes that's an easy prayer. If it's something, you know, if I, God, if I, you know, if you want me to get the promotion, that's great. And if not, I understand. But when it's life and death, when it's life and death, when it's a loved one, then that's when it becomes so difficult. I was going to mention the Shell family, and I think some of them are here today. And a lot of prayers were offered up for that dear family that night as the devastating news of their accident was spread. And it's one of those times when, when you want to, you have this idea of what you want to pray, yet you know your heart's saying, well, what does the scripture say? And what about thy will be done? So today I want to, I want to share with you. I, I want to share with you from, my, from the very depths of my heart um, about that part of the prayer. And, and we want to talk about, there's an icebreaker, if you will, um, and if you got your sermon sheet, we're pretty well going to follow that, I think. Um, but there's an icebreaker. And then we're going to go have a wedding. We're going to marry two pieces of Scripture together. And then we're going to look at this ultimate bottom line. And then how it played out in Jesus' life. And then if we have time at the end, we're going to go to the theater and watch how this plays out ultimately in the life of Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you something. This is a really important message. Again, if you're, if you're a note-taker, boy, get your pen out. If you're not a note-taker, you might want to consider being one today because I think this is a game-changer. 
I think really this can impact our lives. So what's this icebreaker? Well, I wrote this on the, on the top of the sermon sheet. And here's what I wrote. The way you live your life will reflect the tenor of your prayers. And that's a word, tenor I like, the how you pray. How you pray. The, the way you live your life will reflect the tenor or how you pray. Now, now let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, if, if you are a person who lives by faith, then there's a really good possibility that your prayer life will be one of faith. If, if you are a person who understands that wonderful song that David sang this morning about white flag, we surrender, if you, if you live a life of surrender, then there's a really good chance that your prayer life will be one of surrender. If you're a very worshipful person, there's, there's probably a good possibility that naturally a huge part of your prayer life will be worship. The way we live reflects how we play, impacts, pray, how we pray. And frankly, if, if you're like so many of us who struggle with selfishness and, and who's selfish with God, this is, I need this for me, then probably how you pray is going to be reflected in that too. You'll find yourself praying a lot about you. And you know, it's really funny because this is vice versa. You could read it this way. The way you live your life will reflect the tenor of your prayers. Well, vice versa, the way you pray will reflect the way you live. It's just the two are just well married together. So it's a big barometer of our faith and our surrender and how we view God and his right, his right to take a claim on our lives. Now, I told you we were going to do a scriptural marriage because our scripture today, and and we're basically dissecting the disciples' prayer, the model prayer. And last week, just three words, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. And then today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. We talked about the fact, well, here it goes. We talked about the fact that I tried, okay? I tried, okay? So we talked about the fact that it's a prophetic prayer, that there's coming a time in the future, and we don't have time to talk about that, but there's coming a time in the future when Jesus Christ will reign on this earth physically for a thousand years. It's like near the end of time, but it's going to happen. And so in one sense, Jesus was saying, you need to pray for that time when I'm going to reign as king of kings on this earth, on this earth. But then I said last week, it was a personal prayer. Because the kingdom of God is not a piece of property. It's the rule of God. It's the authority of God. And in its simplest form, it does reside in us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. In other words, as we have become Christ followers, the rule of God lives within us and in the form of the Holy Spirit. But, but truly, it rules our lives. It's the authority of God lived out and acted in our lives. And when you marry that, that thought, thy kingdom come, when you marry that, the natural thought is because kingdoms have a king and kingdoms have subjects who are subject to the king, the only logical response is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you wed those together like that, it makes sense. If Jesus Christ is your king, and if Jesus Christ is my king, and kings have ultimate authority, the only logical thing for we as his people is to simply say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So how does that play out for us? How does that even begin with us? Well, that's what's so great about Jesus. Because Jesus plays that. You know, isn't, have you ever thought about that? You know, he sits there and he teaches that, you know, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be servant of all. And then he washes the disciples' feet. Even this prayer, your kingdom come, he exercises that. He demonstrates that throughout his time on earth. It's amazing how Jesus, our Savior and our King, lived out the things he taught. It's really cool when a teacher actually does what he teaches. And that's what Jesus does. Now, we begin our our journey, really, in Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 38. John chapter 6, verse 38. How did that play out in Jesus' life, and how does it play out in our life? Well, we start with these words in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. Whoa, Whoa, that's big. I have come down from heaven, which means this, that Jesus didn't begin when he was born of Mary on the first Christmas day. That Jesus pre-existed in heaven. And so he left the splendors of heaven and strapped on a human baby body, a baby body that grew ultimately to a man, but he had his beginnings in heaven. Now I'm fixing to really like, you know, like go, okay, Dwayne, I don't understand that. And guess what? If you find someone who understands what I'm about to say, you ought to marry them or buy their book. Okay? Here's the deal. Jesus Christ was God and man. Jesus Christ was God and man. But it gets stickier than that. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. See, some of us approach our marriage, it's a 50-50 deal, and that'll get you in trouble every time. Well, we have a tendency to think, okay, well, like Jesus was like half God and half man. No, that's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, a good way of saying it is Jesus was fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And the reason that's so important, well, there's lots of reasons why it's really important, but the one I want to capitalize on today is this, that when it comes to these teachings like we have today, it puts real power for us how we can, you know, Jesus, you know, in his humanity taught these things and lived these things, then we too can apply them in our life. So Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now that's pretty big, because you know the end of the story where we're going to end up today is on that Roman cross. We're going to, if we get there, we're going to talk a lot about that at the end of the service. His story, his, his story ends on a Roman cross with railroad spikes driven through his hands and his feet. The flesh off his back has been beat off. You can see tissue and bones. Okay? I mean, it's got, that's where it's ultimately going. So since you know that part of the story, logically we would say, I've come not to do my will. Well, you know, the deal is often our will seems easier. And we're going to hear this from Jesus. That's why we like to pray. We like prayer. Prayers like to pray because our way is often seems better than God's way. Of course, it never is, but it seems that way. And you need to know something. Satan is really good at tempting us to do our thing. 
Have you ever thought about this? Now, again, if you're not a Bible person, I know this may sound weird, but maybe you can check it out. It's it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, and it's the temptation of Jesus. It's just an illustration. We're not going to try to teach that today. But if you remember that, you know, Jesus was hungry for how many days? How many many days were he hungry? What's he hungry for? Forty days, okay? That would make one hungry Baptist, all right? One hungry Baptist. And so for 40 days, he doesn't eat. And then the Bible says Satan shows up. He says, look, you're hungry. Why don't you turn stones into bread? You're hungry. You can do it. I believe you can do it. You know you can do it. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And basically, he's, he's tempting Jesus to bypass the Father. He's teaching Jesus to take things in his own hands. And besides all that, he, Satan knows, I think, what's coming too. I know Jesus knows and Satan knows. And he knows that this is redemption. This is how God's going to pay for men's sin. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. So he comes up with a better idea. Why don't you become a bread messiah? Think, think about it. You go around feeding all the hungry people, and they're going to follow you. Let's not do the cross. The cross is bloody. The cross is painful. The cross is, is horrible. Let's just turn stones into bread. You get to be the messiah, everybody wins. What a temptation. I wonder if Satan sometimes tempts us not to trust God, but to see another way. And then, and then, and then Satan takes him up on top of a, a, the pinnacle of the temple, like three stories down. I've seen the, the corner where he jumped from in the Holy Land. It's like 50 feet. And, and Satan says this, hey, <laughs> jump. You know and I know that God's not letting anything happen to you because you've got that coming. The whole purpose of you coming was that. God the Father, Satan says, is not going to let anything happen to you. Just fall. And here's the good part. When you get there, just levitate. Right six inches before the ground, just... And just stop. Everybody's going to go. He's got to be the Messiah. You bypass the cross. You become the Messiah. Everybody wins. But Satan was tempting him again to bypass God's great purpose in his life. It was easier, but it wasn't God's will. And finally, finally Satan takes him up on a mountain and says, Look at all these kingdoms. You want to be a king? I can make you a king because all this has been given to me. You want to be a king? I can make you a king. All you have to do in privacy, no one's going to see it, it's just be me and you. Just worship me. Not forever. Just for a minute. Just fall down, worship me, and I'll give you all of this. No cross, just kingdoms. You become the king, everybody wins. And once again, bypassing the Father. Once again, putting Satan before God. You reckon Satan ever tempts us to do that? You know what motivates a lot of our prayers? That. Not... Your will be done. My will be done. So so he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but, but he says, but to do the will of him who sent me. You see, it's not about me. Jesus said, it's not about me. It's about my father. And that's what we've got to learn. See, we're, those of you today who are Christ followers, are there any Christ followers in the house? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, great. Okay, okay, thank you so much. Okay, you Christ followers... You've got to remember what you signed up for. 
This will help you in your prayer life. Listen to, listen to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, when we became a Christ follower, part of us died. That old man, that flesh dies. And Christ lives in us. The King of kings lives within us. The rule of God, the authority of God comes and lives within us. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, when I became a Christ follower, all of a sudden I stopped living by sight. I started living by faith. And for Christ, the one who loved me and the one who died for me. Doesn't that change how we pray? Doesn't that set a tenor for how we pray? If Dwayne died and Christ now lives within me, and Christ is, Christ's will is, but to do the will of him who sent me, should I not be living in a way that exercises him who died for me? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it simplistic? That part is. It gets harder from here. Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 9. Jesus said to them all, If anyone, that's all of us Christ followers, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, move to the back of the line. In other words, let him say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let him deny himself. Let him take up the cross daily. And I've heard it taught that the cross was a sense of identity. And when the criminal would haul his cross, he was identifying saying, I'm wrong, Rome is right. And identified as a criminal. And when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he is teaching us to identify with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a sense of identity. One that you did in New Orleans. When they carried that cross through the belly of the beast in the middle of Mardi Gras, they were saying, we identify with Christ. And we identify with him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you've got to be willing to put yourself aside. You've got to be willing to pick up that cross. And you've got to follow. Jesus, again, those scriptures apply to us, but you see how he demonstrated that? He said, I didn't come to do my deal. I came to do my father's deal. I came to do what he wanted me to do. That's ours. That's us. I know probably someone didn't tell you that, did they? They told you all you had to do is pray this prayer. And that's cool. That's cool. Not knocking the prayer. Pray the prayer. That's good. But you forgot the part about being Lord of all. It's a surrender process. It's a dying to self process. That's what he's called us to do. And Jesus then demonstrates this in a huge way. Here's what he says in John 12, 27 and 28. He says, first off this, and this is just a few chapters down the road. Now my soul is troubled. Pause Have you ever had a troubled soul? I had a troubled soul this week. I get a call from my daughter. Now, now, 
don't tell Sarah I said this, but she tends to be a drama queen. Okay? We always, when Jean and I get the phone calls from Sarah, we always kind of temper it because it's Sarah. I hear this sobbing, scared voice. Mom. It's on mom's phone. Speaker phone. Mom, this is Sarah. I'm on my way to the hospital with Will. I don't know what's going on. He's unconscious, but he's throwing up. And when he opens his eyes, his eyes are rolling around in his head. I don't know. I'm afraid. She gets to the hospital and, and they determine he'd fallen and had a really bad concussion. Now, we've been blessed. Our trips to the emergency room raising three daughters was one. Rebecca stepped on an L when she was three years old. No broken bones, no nothing. And the grandkids are doing pretty good too. And besides the time when Jennifer's kids spent nine weeks in the NICU because of, of, of birth, you know, pregnancy trouble, we were like, you know, like, we don't do this kind of stuff. And it scared me. And it scared Judy. And it scared us. It was hard. Anyone ever had a troubled soul? Have you had a teenager? Have you had a mom or a dad? Have you had a husband that was unfaithful? Have you gone through a car accident in the middle of the night? That was just devastating. Have you ever had an F4 tornado blow through your life? He says, my soul is troubled. But listen to this. I want you, you've got to get a hold of this this morning. Listen to the simple words from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. We live in a simple world. We live in an imperfect world. And Peter warns us and says, don't be surprised when. It's not if. The, the hour of the troubled heart is coming. If it is not there now in your life or has not been in the past, the hour of the troubled heart is coming into your life. It will come. It will come. And Peter says, don't let it surprise you when it comes. As though something strange was happening to you. That is the beauty of a sovereign God. Do you know that God never wakes up and goes, oops? Do you know God never wakes up and says, well, first off, God never wakes up. Let's start there. <laughs> but, but he never wakes up and says, didn't see that coming. We, we say that. But our father never does because he's all powerful. And he's all knowing. How powerful is that? And, and then you've got this. You've got to grab it. This is where the 100% man thing comes in. This is where that comes in. 100% God, 100% man. This is where this comes in. Listen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Have you ever had someone say, you, you're going through a, that troubled heart moment, and someone says, I know how you feel. And you want to shout at them and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. Well, I can look in the eye with all authenticity, and I can tell you this. There is a Savior, and He knows what you're going through. Yeah, amen. Amen. 
He knows what. We have a high priest who knows what we're going through. Wow. How authentic and how powerful is that? And it closes. And you've got to love this because we're talking about prayer. He says, therefore, in verse 16, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. With boldness. So we may receive what? Mercy. And what? Grace to help us in our time of need. Oh, when the F4 tornado comes through, when the accident happens, when the phone call comes, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness to find mercy and help in time of need. How powerful is that? You have got to take this home today. You've got to take this home. This is a game changer. Not only in your relationship and fellowship with God, but it's a game changer and help for you when the hour of troubled heart comes. So Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Isn't that a great question? Here is the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man, Fully God and fully man. Here he is. And so he says, my, my soul is troubled. What should I say? That's really refreshing to me. Now I know in his case, it's a hypothetical question. In our case, it's reality. Come on. Come on. Hasn't there been times when you didn't know how to pray? Hasn't there been times when you didn't know what to say? And of course, you know... Again, if you're, if, you're, if you're a little bit of a Bible student, there's a, you need to write this one down. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Listen to this. This is like, wow. Likewise, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit that lives within us, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, the, the Holy Spirit who, who lives within us, He helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Isn't that true? Aren't you glad God gave us the Bible? I mean, isn't that true? We don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself, Holy Spirit, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Wow. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I mean, Jesus spoke the question hypothetically, what shall I say? But the truth is, in our frailty, we often don't know how to pray. And when I don't know how to pray, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit living within me is saying, okay, God, here it is. And he knows the will of God and intercedes for us. I guess I'm saying sometimes it's just all right to say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. And the Holy Holy Spirit goes, that's okay, I got it. I've got it. I'm interceding for you. And that kind of just puts new meaning into verse 28, which we love to to quote. And we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Wow. How cool is that? So Jesus asked this question, you know, my, my, my soul is troubled, so how, what should I say? Hypothetically, he knows, we don't. And look what he says. Here's what he said, should I say this? Father, save me from this hour. Now, isn't that logical? 
Isn't that logical? I mean, this is waiting. This, the Roman cross. Again, nails, pain, agony, becoming sin, the wrath of God. All this is coming. And the logical answer would be, I don't want to do that. Save me from this hour. It's so logical. It it seems like the right prayer. Are there not times when we pray what seems to be such a logical thing? I do. You know, if one of you calls me and says, you know, the doctor said I've got cancer. The logical thing is heal this sister or heal this brother that I love. When there's a terrible accident, when there's a tornado, the logical thing seems to say, God, you just got to do this. It sure seems logical to me. I mean, come on. Let's get this right. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves God. If God loves Jesus and Jesus loves God, the obvious thing is let's avoid that. Because that's hurt. That's pain. That's hard. And if God loves Jesus and Jesus loves God, come on. Haven't you kind of had that conversation in your head? If God loves me and I love God, can we just avoid that? I want you to write this down. There's the third factor. See, Jesus loves God and God loves Jesus, but both of them love us. Both of them love us. The reason that wasn't a logical prayer, Father, save me from this hour, is because of their love for us. Their love for us overruled Jesus' suffering and agony. And the father having to give his son over to the cross. Now listen, look at me. There are times, first off, let me say this. There's always a third factor in your life. There's always a third factor. God loves you and you love God. If you're a Christ follower, those two should be give me's. But there's always a third factor of which we're probably not privy to. God doesn't do things accidentally. God has a purpose in everything he allows or does. Let me say it again. There's the third factor. God has a purpose in everything he does or he allows. You need to take that home. Because some of you think, well, where was God on vacation in Florida? This sure doesn't make any sense to me. Listen. Did we not sing, and we'll understand it better by and by? We may not get the answer here. In fact, can I just be honest? We probably won't get the answer here. The third factor. But one day in heaven, if you can just wait. You know, it's a week from your birthday, and your kid's saying, I want this toy. And you want to say, just wait. In a week, it's your birthday, and you'll get that toy. Well, there is coming a day when we'll understand the third factor. Just trust God. Just surrender. That's not easy. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. But just trust the one who died for you. Just trust the one who loves you. I say this every once in a while. If you ever, ever, ever doubt the love of God and you're a Christ follower, just look back to that. 
Because that says, I love you. And he won't stop. So it would seem logical that the Father saved me from this hour. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. Listen. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. The reason I came to earth was this purpose. Now, look at me. You're going to have, there's going to come a time in your journey with Jesus. There's come a time in your prayer life, a lot of times, when this is going to butt. Your desire, his purpose. Your desire, his purpose. They're going to butt heads. Now, here's the hard part. Get ready. His purpose trumps your desire every time. His purpose trumps your desire every time. Sometimes they line up, but sometimes they don't. And again, you've got to surrender and you've got to trust God. That He's not just arbitrarily making decisions up in heaven to wreck your life for fun. Because he's not. He is omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful. He's your loving father. Trust him. Trust him. And one day you'll understand it better by and by. For this purpose, he says, I came. And with that crisis of belief, with that statement for him... He says, Father, glorify your name. Now, can we back up? My heart's troubled. Check. We got that one. How shall I pray? What shall I pray for him? Is a theoretical question. For us, it's reality. Save me from this hour. No, because the third factor's there. He loved us. That's why he came. That's why he died. This purpose, I came... It's a reason for my existence. Glorify your name. But that's hard. And you know, I, don't, I don't mention dead people very often. Let me explain. There's a new movement in theology to go back and read the dead people. You know, the great Spurgeons and all those guys. That's cool. That's great. But I don't quote them very often. I don't read old stuff very often. But I made sure, you know, there's the Westminster Catechism and I said, gee, that, that may not be very cool. I said, so I found the Baptist Catechism. And you know, Catechism is teaching. And it was written in, in uh, 16, 1698. That's older than anybody here. Okay? But here's what it says. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So what is your chief end? To glorify God. Yes? I like happy better. I want to be happy. If you're a Christ follower, your chief end is to glorify God. I like money better. I want to be rich. That's cool. Chief end is to glorify God. And that's why... That's why thy will be done on earth as in heaven is an important prayer for us. Because our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Therefore, Paul writes, 
whatever you eat, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, you may say, that don't sound very fair. Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you forgot this? Have you forgot eternity separated from God in a place called hell? Have you forgotten that on your very best day, you were a spiritual zero? You were totally depraved? And without God doing something, you would spend eternity in hell? Have you forgot that? Have you forgot the suffering of the cross, the wrath of God, the the separation when when God the Father turns his back on the Son and Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, Laba, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Unfair. If he never did another thing besides forgive us, we would spend the next three eternities thanking him for it. So don't get all twisted up inside when it seems like God didn't give you what you wanted. Because he already gave you what you needed. And that was a savior. That was a savior. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Listen to this. This is supposed to be encouraging. Paul says, so we don't lose heart. This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and we would hope for that, that's the closest thing you're going to get to a joke. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary Affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transit, they're temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. See. I was watching Francis Chan a while back, and and he had this, like, really long rope. And at the very end of the rope, at the very end of the rope, he had it painted red. And he said, let's say we live to be 100 years old. He said, if this portion of the rope, that long, represented our 100 years here, what is that compared to eternity? I'm telling you, this momentary light affliction that we get all twisted up about is just an eye blink compared to eternity. And what we don't understand now, we'll understand then. And what's so hard now, we'll understand then. And God just says, trust me. Surrender. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So, how about today? How about today? If you're here today, and when I said, Are there any Christ followers here? and you kind of went, What's a Christ follower? Well, it's a person who follows Jesus. 
A lot of us have made that decision in our life, and it kind of involves this. It kind of involves us, one, we came to a point and realized that God was right about us. He says everybody has sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one who does right, not one. So we kind of came to that conclusion that he was right and we were wrong. And because we were separated from God, we needed a Jesus. We needed a Savior. We needed a rescuer. We needed a redeemer. And so we asked Jesus, believing what he did on that cross that we talked about throughout the message, that he died in our place. He took the wrath of God so we didn't have to. He shed his blood because by his blood we could be forgiven. And we believe that and we turn this way and we turn from that and start following Jesus. That's kind of what being a Christ follower is. It has nothing to do with being a Baptist. It has nothing with starting habits or or quitting habits. It has nothing to do with how often you go to church. It has what you do with Jesus, believing what God says about you and what God says about Jesus, believing that and turning from your sin and following Him. If that's never happened in your life, God brought you here today to hear that. I'm telling you, for me it was 41 years ago. I can't believe it, but it's been 41 years. And it has been one incredible ride. I'm telling you, he's the real deal. He's who he says he is. He can do what he said he can do. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And if you're, in case you're sitting there going, yeah, but you don't know what I did. He does. And he says, I can handle it. I can handle it. My grace is enough. And here, in, today you're a Christ follower. Would you have the courage to take perhaps... Would you take the first step now, understanding that kingdoms have kings and Jesus is our king, and understanding that we're to pray, thy will be done. Are you ready and are you willing to take the first step, the best way to know how to say, God, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, a lot of things I don't understand, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender to you today. And with your help, I want to pray from my heart, even when I don't understand, even when it's hard Even when it's difficult, I want to pray. Not my will, but thy will be done. That cup was terrible. But don't forget, after the cup, there was something else. Listen to this. This is from the book of Philippians. After the cup, there was this. Therefore God also hath highly exalted him, And given him the name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. After the cup came exaltation. And after the cup comes eternity in heaven with Jesus. It will be worth it all. One more scripture. No commentary, just one more scripture. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in Him. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so very much for the worship that we had. 
Thank you for your incredible word. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're a high priest that really does understand what we go through. Thank you for that the humanity and the God, and we don't even understand it, but we believe it. And you know our struggles and our agony and our pain. Father, I want to pray today first for the person who might be here who does not know you as Savior. May today be that day. They need a rescuer, and Jesus, that's you. Would you reach down and rescue them from their sin even today? Then, Father, for all of us here, no matter where we are in our station of life and growing with you, help us, Father, to be able to pray from an authentic and real heart, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, it's just one of those times I feel like I need to say it one more time. I just need to say, I need your help. I need your help. But then I always need your help. I think I'm learning that I can't live this Christian life anyway. That's got to be you living it out through me. So I'm asking that to happen. Father, you know who you brought to the service today who might need a special word of prayer, who need a word of encouragement, who need to hear about Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you now to draw those people to the Father as you see fit. Thank you very much for the privilege of being here today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.